Welcome, welcome, welcome. Why don't we stand together as uh, we're going to continue looking at the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, Jesus' model prayer that we've been spending uh, the summer and into the fall together. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We're going to recite it. been asking the question for several weeks, months now. Are you praying or just saying? Are you praying or just saying? So let's, uh, let's go ahead and recite Matthew 6, 9 to 13 together. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Prayer, right? We've learned at the core that prayer is face time. It's relational, right? And that question has been a good question for me, a good question for us as a church, right? Are you praying or just saying? This morning, again, as you maybe had morning devos, as you prayed, uh, were you having face time? Were you, were you really in relationship? Did you really recognize the presence of Father and were you speaking to him and were you listening to him in a relational context? Or was it just simply something that you say, something that you do, and then you check off your list and you kind of feel good that you did it, right? It, it's a heart question. It, it, it's a paradigm shift because in our fast-paced culture, quite frankly, it's much more convenient to just say and just kind of move on. And sort of ask God to bless our agenda for the day, call it good, and kind of, you know, get the brownie point or the gold star for having done your quiet time. What we've seen in the last several weeks is that when you really understand prayer and what Jesus was teaching his disciples, really under the new covenant, this way of relating to Father through this model prayer, it really slows things down. It really, in many ways, challenges us to even... Take a minute or a second and say, wait, what am I about to say? <laughs> right? Am I just about to just by rote recite something? Or am, what, what I'm about to say to Father, does there meaning behind this? Is, is this something that I've actually had some forethought into? And then on the other side, am I willing to listen? And so suddenly prayer takes a very relational context and and you understand now that when, when the Bible says pray without ceasing, it's really meaning, it's really a call to us to be in relationship without ceasing. To be speaking from our heart, to be listening from our heart constantly, right? So, so prayer at its core is FaceTime. We've walked through the model prayer. And uh, Matthew 6.13, we've been camped on there for the last few weeks. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right, Two phrases there that are really one whole thought that, that we've been looking at. Lead us not into temptation. If you're visiting, right, we saw that, that temptation, a definition from John MacArthur, is really says the basic meaning of temptation is simply to test or prove and has no negative connotation. Whether it becomes a proof of righteousness or an inducement to evil depends on our, okay, our response. If we resist it in God's power, it is a test. That proves our faithfulness. If we do not resist, it becomes a solicitation to sin. Right? And why has this been important? Because one out of one of us, 100% of us, we are tested slash tempted all the time. All the time. And specifically in the context of this prayer, we're looking at how do we deal with testing and temptation in the context of a relationship with Father. Having come to faith through Jesus, now being part of God's family, his child, what resources do I have to use? How, how is testing supposed to grow me? And conversely, when I'm tested, what is the devil, what is the enemy doing to tempt me to ultimately what? Act independently of God, right? Key verse in this whole, in this whole uh, temptation series has been James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Right? So, so God allows testing, but we live uh, in, in the world where there's an enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that in that testing wants to tempt us to ultimately do what? We saw that the core of temptation is what? To act independently of God. His revealed will, right? So you and I are tested. We go to the scriptures, perhaps. We seek counsel. We listen to a podcast. We read a good book. Pertaining to this testing in our life, it becomes pretty clear what God's will is in this area. And yet, because of circumstances, because of the time it's taking for God to hear me, whatever it might be, things pile up over time, and we are now tempted to, at the core, what? Act independently. Of God. So think about this past week, and maybe the last weeks, maybe this morning, things you're tested with. In that testing, how are you being tempted to act independently of God? How are you being tempted to take it? How are you being tempted to respond verbally? How are you being tempted to think about it? Right? Independently of what you even kind of know. God would have you do. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you know what God wants you to do, but you don't do it? Anyone? Right? I mean, literally, it probably has come out of your mouth. It's come out of my mouth. And and we get so used to it. But think about this. We literally say, I know what God's word says, but anyone? Right? What does that but signify? That's the temptation to act independently of God's revealed word in the power of the Holy Spirit. I know what God's word says. I know what God wants me to do. I know I shouldn't, but, right? The but is the revelation of the temptation. You are being tempted in that moment to act independently, to to put aside what you know and to act out, right? Right? And, and it's not diminishing. Maybe it's just intense. Maybe you're just angry. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're devastated. Whatever it is. Um, but in that moment, the, temp- the testing becomes a temptation to, I got this. I know what God says, but. Right? And so we've seen that it's really a heart issue. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It's a heart issue. It really comes from your heart. What's going on in your heart? The Bible says out of the abundance of the mouth, out of, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know kind of what's going on in someone's life, how their heart is with the Lord, just listen to their language. Listen to their language. Right? My words, your words reveal the condition of our heart. Right? So it's a heart issue. How we respond to testing and temptation ultimately is going to start here. Right? That's why the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your Heart, right? Heart. So Matthew 6.13, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're going to start today and into the next few weeks. Deliver us from evil. What does that mean? Deliver us from evil, right? Well, it, it, it's interesting. You have to look at this whole, this whole phrase, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. You have to look at it from the heart context, right? We're going to look at what the words mean, but really it's a heart cry. It's a heart cry. Lead us not into temptation was a heart cry of protection. Father, I'm going to wake up, and as soon as I wake up, as soon as I walk out the door, as soon as I walk at school, as soon as I go to work, as soon as I turn on the radio, the TV, I am bombarded with testing and temptation. I need you to protect my heart, Father. I need you to protect my heart because I know me, and I know how easy it is in these certain situations, these buttons to get pressed. I know me, Father. I need you to protect my heart. In the same way, when it says, deliver us from evil, it's like, Father, I need you to act. I need you to, to really save me. The word picture on deliver there is uh, in a war setting on a battlefield, a soldier is wounded and is stuck out in the middle of the battlefield, and his buddy crawls, races, does whatever he can to grab his friend and drag him to safety. When you pray, deliver us from evil, that's the word picture. I'm helpless. I need, I need someone. I need you. I need you, right? It's a call for urgent action, right? And it says, deliver us from evil. In the original language, it has the pronoun the, 
or the article the, so it's deliver us from the evil. That's why in some versions it says deliver us from the evil one, right? Deliver us from evil, right? And, and, and this is where the, that word evil means it's not just somebody who's evil in and of themselves, but this, this person who, who is evil, corrupt, wants to engage actively to corrupt and destroy you, Right? And so we have to understand, if we're going to pray, deliver us from evil with the, with the intensity of deliver, you've got to kind of understand the war that you're in. Where it says, deliver us from evil. See, this is where a lot of, even the church, I don't know if we approach or if we understand evil. Because we live in the good old USA. And we live in Ojai. And we're comfortable materially and maybe even spiritually. Right? And, and this evil and the evil one and the devil. Ah, oh, isn't that just old? Isn't that old school? Isn't that like superstition? Oh, now you're getting all weird. Is there really a devil and evil and all this, right? And yet Jesus himself says, you need to pray, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Right? We have to understand, even in this room, but, but take it out of context of the room, at a certain point we're going to say amen. And we're gonna, Mark is going to say, usually he says, have a great week or you are dismissed. Well, at that moment, you're going to walk out these doors into evil. You see... 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Devour. There's not just some devil trying to mess with you. Okay? Trying to make your life a little bit miserable. No, he wants to destroy you. Devour. Destroy. And laugh all the way to the bank as he's doing it. Celebrate as your life is destroyed. There's nothing more the devil wants to do than destroy this church. This is a real deal. Look at, I mean, he is seeking someone to devour. Okay, put you there. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking you. Not just to mess with you. Not just to let your AC go off. You know, not just to let your car break down. No, he wants to devour you. Devour. That's the plan. That's the plan. Right? 1 John 5.19 We know that we, okay, great truth, we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John, look what God says. We know we're from God, right? Children of God, Amen. The church, amen? amen? But he says this truth. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Have you got jaded to that? Does that like kind of not resonate anymore? Is that like, what? What? Really? Because if you got kind of jaded and you've kind of lost the edge, you've already been duped by the evil one. You've already been duped. I told you before, the devil... He's slick, right? The Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. He's not usually going to come to you as a big, scary, pitchfork red guy. He doesn't do that because he knows that's going to drive you where? To the Lord. He's not going to come and go, ah, because he immediately goes, ah, you're going to be, oh, please deliver me. He knows you're going to do that. It's going to be the 100% opposite. Angel of light. Hey, it's all right. Hey, it's good for you. You see, in the garden, everything he presented to Eve was good, beneficial. It was presented from an angel of light in the sense it was supposed to help you. I'm here to help you, Eve. That, that God creator, no, he's actually not so good because he's keeping something from you. The devil is going to present things to you that appear initially to be good, to be beneficial, 
He's just reeling you in. He's just reeling you in, right? John MacArthur has this description of this verse, 1 John 5:19. He says this, Despite the existence of countless political, cultural, and social entities in the world, there are in reality only two realms. It is the comforting privilege of believers, in addition to having eternal life, answered prayer, and victory over sin, to know they belong to God. Though they exist in this world, they are not part of it. They are children of God. Aliens and strangers whose true citizenship is in heaven. Amen? 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 Amen. On the other hand, the whole world, its politics, economics, education, entertainment, and above all, its religion, lies in the power of the evil one. The evil world system is hostile to God and believers. It takes its cue from its ruler, Satan, the arch enemy of God and his people. Because the world is completely under Satan's influence, believers must avoid being contaminated by it. You see, if the devil can get you and I to lose the edge on two realms and slide it into what you may call, oh, it's just morally neutral. See? I love this. Andy Stanley, he says, we don't live in a morally neutral world. You've got to understand that. And for some of that right there, I'll challenge you. Because I'm just watching TV. It's just a TV show. It's just morally neutral. It's nothing bad. I'm just listening to this music. It's morally neutral. It's just the beat. It's just music. It's morally neutral, isn't it? Right? How many of you remember uh, when the fire came to Thomas Fire? Was that a couple years ago? Right? So we evacuated to Santa Barbara for a few days, and then we came in. And I don't know if you happened to be in town when this was just a cloud. You remember that? You, if you came in here, you couldn't see very far, and it was just because there was no wind. And smoke permeated everything. How many of you tried to lock up your house, and you just walked in your house and like, holy cow. Right? Smoke got in everywhere, everything. We came in for a few days and, and, you know, tried to do what we needed to do at the house, yada, yada. And then uh, Garrett's family said, hey, why don't you come out to Santa Clarita, right? And so we caravaned out there. And it was so funny. We get out of the cars. We walk into Garrett's, Garrett's house and his mom's like, you guys stink. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, she, she says, like, you guys smell. And, and it was so funny because I went, like, we do stink. I mean, it was not just a, a little hint of smoke. This was like smoke in the car, in our clothes. Everything stunk. But it was until we got to Santa Clarita in fresh air that you didn't notice how bad we were. Because here, everything stunk. And you got used to it pretty darn quick, right? That's kind of what we're talking about here with the world. It's kind of what we're talking about. Evil, the prince of the power of the air, the world, the devil of flesh. It permeates everything. Everything. That's why how many of you, when you come here on a Sunday or a small group or worship in prayer night, how many of you feel like it's a breath of fresh air? Anyone? You feel like, yes, yes, because all the other times you're out there dealing with it. That's why if you come to church and you get this kind of breath of fresh air and you're like, I can let down my guard and it's joy and I feel like I could be me and I can celebrate that. You're back in the fresh air of the Lord. Amen. That's what this is, because pretty soon, guys, we got to go back out into the smoke. That permeates everything relentlessly, 24-7, 365. It's in, all around us. And if you're not careful, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start to stick. It's going to start to seep in. That's the heart of this prayer. Deliver us from the evil. Deliver us from this smoke that's just permeating all the time, right? What does he say in First John 2? Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, 
and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Here's what he's saying. You know what? You know what? And this is where kind of, I think the church, when we say evil, everyone goes, ooh. Like, because we think monsters and we think devil, scary devil, right? When he says deliver us from evil, it's, a, it's like the world system. The world system that is opposed to God's revealed world. Word. That's what he's talking about here. And what is the world system? What is the evil system trying to do? Everything in it, 24-7, 365, is focused on you, focusing on you. It's a self-centered, self-pleasing world. Everything of the world is designed to get you and me to take our eyes off of God and put it right on us. That's what he did in the garden. That's what he's doing right now as you're sitting here. Right now as you're sitting here. Andy Stanley puts it this way. We don't live in a morally neutral climate. Every day we interface with a culture of sensuality, gluttony, and greed. Ours is a culture that encourages us in the most provocative way to do everything in our power to try to satisfy appetites that can never be fully and finally satisfied. So, you have to broaden your perspective, your understanding biblically of what it means that we live in evil. Now, are there satanic forces, people that are diametrically opposed, that literally hate what we stand for and hate this gathering? Yes. Yes. Are there things in this culture that, that are railing against biblical Orthodox Christianity? Yes. Okay, so that is, there is evil out there that wants to do harm to you and to me because we represent Jesus on this planet. That's part of it. There's this whole other part that you've got to understand. That the evil one isn't going to necessarily come at your face, isn't going to challenge you, isn't going to call you outside and want to throw. It's going to be real subtle. Over time, because it's all about you. It's all about you. Notice the first song we sang. Heart of worship. What is heart of worship? A confession. It's a confession song. Right? I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. But this world we live in says, no, it's not about Jesus. It's about you. It's about, it's really about you. And church is supposed to be about you. You're supposed to come and get a sermon. You're supposed to sit comfortably. You're supposed to go have good music. You're supposed to go get good refreshments. You're supposed to be around good people. It's all about you. That's what, they're, that's what the enemy wants, is for you to be about you, right? And I, and I thought about this, and, 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 and it's amazing how simple the world makes it to be about us. Because now they have Bluetooth selfie sticks, right? It's amazing. It's amazing, right? I, I, I think I hook this up, and look, I can do that. And it just took a picture of me. And we walk around in a selfie world. This is what the enemy wants. This is the world, right? It's all about you. We come to church. And it's supposed to be one anothering, but we walk through these doors with selfie sticks. <laughs> selfie sticks. Because we come through the door with a selfie stick. Push, right? Push. Okay, so I'll pull. And we come through like this. Where do I want to sit? Oh, who's in my seat? Oh. And we're literally selfie stick Christians coming to selfie church. Selfie church. And here's the crazy thing, right? We worship with selfie sticks. I'm coming back to the heart. Smile, heart of worship. I love it. We got selfie stick worship because we're consumed about what we sound like. Hands up. Okay, maybe I can. How did I look? Right, right. Right, selfie stick. It's crazy. This is what the world wants, right? It's, I mean, it's, this is how we live in it, and it comes right through the door. 
as much as we say we've got to one another, right, connection guy? We're here to one another. Right? One another. Amen? Amen. All right. Put your, get, that means you've got to put your selfie sticks down, though. <laughs> or, very simply, you just push this button. And suddenly it's on you. Smile. Smile, Ro. Gotcha. Smile. Because, see, I just, I just pushed a button. And, and now it's focused on you. The Bible would call that one another. But, see, it's that choice because out there... The world says, hey, how many likes? How many likes on that Facebook did you get? Mm. Right? Facebooks. Instagram. Right? It's all about you. It's all about us. So, oh, geez, ready? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's all about us. Because it's about us. It's about us. Right? And if we're not careful, then it's about us as the best church in the valley. So come on, us. Everyone wave. Everyone wave. Come on, because it's about us. It's about us. It's about us. Right? You see, this is the world we live in, and it seeps in. It has seeped in. Right? And then we go to fresh air, and we're like, you guys smell. Because someone, someone new to the valley comes in and is like, you guys are all about you. But we're so into us that we don't even know it anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? It's crazy. Now, I am not disrespecting Facebook and Instagram and those who do selfies. When I take my wife out to dinner, yes, we do the selfie plate thing. Wherever we are, we, we have a... Um, a family WhatsApp where all the kids are on, so it's our way of, it's our way as a family of just kind of letting people know, you know. It's, it's kind of cool because my daughter was in Africa last week and Vinny was in Washington, so we have this family thing, and wherever we are, they travel and they post things. When my wife and I go out to date night, it's the classic, hey, let's take a picture of the fish tacos. <laughs> the kids will be jelly, right? <laughs> Rubios, oh, Rubios, right? So I'm not disrespecting that element of it. There's a, but when it crosses the line, amen, to being about me and my source of esteem, my source of worth, trying to please man, then it's become idolatry. Then the evil one has already got you. And then you can bring that into the church. And you can affirm and you can amen one anothering all the while saying, hey, I'm going to serve. It's crazy. I could preach and have a heart healthy stick right here. Mm -hmm. There might be a lot of preachers today who are just like this. They're preaching. It's really about them. Mm. (laughs) And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. I bet you there's some worship teams that are leading worship. <laughs> right? And, and I bet there might be some people in the prayer ministry that, hey, come on, if you need prayer, come on up and pray. Let me, let me pray for you, brother. Close your eyes and pray. Because <laughs> it's really about me. And how spiritual I am in praying for you. You see how in the, in the church it can get twisted. We're one anothering out of a selfie stick. Because it looks really cool to one another. Right? It's crazy. This is, this is what we need to be delivered from at the core. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. Now, the crazy thing is, in John seventeen thirteen it says this. Jesus is praying for you and me, his disciples. Jesus says this, But now I am coming to you, and those things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you that you, he's talking to Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Check that out. Jesus is about to leave. He's praying to the Father about his his followers. Look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. 
but that you keep them from the evil one. How many of you are a little bit bummed about that prayer? Like, literally, Jesus says, I do not ask you, Father, to take your children out of the world. Like, wouldn't it be cool if you, like, really got saved and, and you were, like, beamed up? Amen? Like, God knows your heart. You get saved and some, like, where'd he go? Heaven. Right? But no. What does Jesus say? Don't take them out of the world. But keep them from the evil one. You see, it's by design and intent that once you and I come to know Father, once we are saved, we still have a mission here. Okay? We're not supposed to hide. We're not supposed to bury our head in the ground. We have a mission. The Great Commission. Jesus came to... And said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have a mission. We have a mission to go out into the evil as ambassadors of reconciliation, as salt and light, so that others can be part of the church. Amen? Amen? Okay, so this is you gotta you gotta kinda make peace with that. It's like, oh really? Gosh. Because a lot of us, if you're not careful and you don't understand evil in this in the biblical in the biblical worldview of evil and your mission into that, you can kinda almost get discouraged. Almost get depressed. Get angry. Get scared. And suddenly you become isolationist Christian and protectionist and you're, you're all on the defensive when, when really God says and Jesus says, no, go. In the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit with the revealed truth of God, go and make disciples of all nations. Amen? We're to, we're to go with confidence. We're to go in the power of the Spirit recognizing what you're going into. A world that is dead set against what you and I believe. It's just kind of what it, the way it is. I mean, in fact, here, here's a way to even understand what's going on in the United States. Think about some of these social issues right now that are going on in this country. At the root of what's going on in this country right now, particularly in some of these social issues, is mankind saying, God, we are acting completely independently of you. you do you see what, do you, do you frame it that way now? The institutions that God has created, the people that God has created, man has now elevated man above God and is now acting with the authority of God completely independently of God's revealed world word. That's what's going on right now. It is the extreme expression of temptation to act independent of God. That is what's going on in our country. That is what's going on. That's how you make sense of these social issues and reframing and redefining and relabeling everything. They're just basically saying, no, no, we know better. This is what we're calling it. We're redefining it. We don't need you. Thank you very much. Your time came and went. We need to now just exert our own independence from you. That's really what, to help you understand what, what we're going through. The evil that's out there. The influence of the world system, the devil. That's what's going on. The culture has basically thumbed its nose to God and says, no, thank you very much. We don't need you. We don't need you anymore. We're 100% independent of you now. You're old school. That's what's going on. That's, they just bought into the ultimate temptation to act independent, but on a national, global scale. Okay? So what do we do? What do we do? In Ephesians 5, he says this. 5.15, I think. Look carefully, then, how you walk. 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So we understand the days are evil. We understand what that means now. But look what he says. How are you supposed to do this? Jesus says, no, you're staying. You're staying. You got a mission. So the next question for us is, how do we do this then? Because in the flesh, I just want to hide. I just want to hide. And sometimes I remember years ago, they called us rabbit hole Christians. Do you know what a rabbit hole Christian is? Here's a rabbit hole Christian. Sunday service. Monday Bible study. Women's barbecue. So we do. We pop up at all the Christian stuff, and the rest of the time we're hiding from the world. No, it's not what we're supposed to do. It's not what we're supposed to do. Ephesians 5 gives us real clarity. Look carefully then how you walk. Walk is conduct, lifestyle. He says, be discerning. Look carefully. Walk intelligently. This is what we're talking about. Walk intelligently. Who you are in Christ, the enemy you're facing, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. When I was growing up in uh, San Diego, Halloween was a big deal in our neighborhood, and we lived at the bottom of the hill, and we would kind of go up like this. Halfway up the hill, a two-story house, I remember this in elementary school, they were like the designated haunted house. Right, They would do the lights and do the whole thing year after year. And I remember as a like, fourth, fifth, sixth grader, we would go out and the streets were filled and we'd spend all night out. But we would like get my friends and like, okay, are we going to try to go past it? Right? Cause, and I remember, you know, okay, we're going to try to get past it this time. Because they would come out and chase people. <laughs> like seriously, like come out and scare you monster stuff and just like chase kids all over the street. So we're like, okay. So I mean, we're like, and you're coming up real careful, cause, right? And you just try to like, you make it a game to get past the two-story haunted house without getting chased, right? It's kind of like what we're talking about here. You know, it's out there. You gotta be intelligent. You gotta be discerning. You gotta maybe even get some one anothering and strategize about this, right? Don't try to do it by yourself. Hey, how are we gonna do this? How are we going to do this? That's what he's talking about here. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now that word, key word today is really biblical wisdom. Are you wise? Are you wise? Right? Wise is defined as the practical application of acquired knowledge. The practical application of acquired knowledge. So here's the thing in the church. And again, this is kind of, a, I think, even a subtle strategy that's kind of like seeped in. We tend to emphasize teaching and understanding. Do you understand what the Bible says? Do you get it? Did he do a good job explaining it? There's an element of that. But the, in Ephesians 5, it says we're supposed to be wise, which means this. We have to learn to practically apply what you already know. You see, I know that many of you have been to church for decades. You probably don't need another sermon. Meaning, there's not much you're going to hear from me or anyone else that's up here that you haven't heard at some point. Or you couldn't read or listen to a podcast or whatever. I understand that. That's why my heart, honestly, is, is the question is, but are you wise? Are you being, are you really wise, biblically? Meaning, do you know how and are you practically applying what you've already learned? That's why a lot of us kind of kick it into neutral and we call it good as Christians because we've learned a whole lot. I've been in church my whole life. Went to VBS, went to Christian college, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you probably actually, some of you know, book learning wise, a heck of a lot more than me. But are you wise? Are you practically applying what you say you already know? Because that's what Ephesians 5 says. If you're going to walk and make the most of every opportunity because of the evil around us, you better be wise and not just 
full of head knowledge. Huge difference. Huge difference in being biblically wise. James 3.13 Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the New Living, it says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. You want to be wise? Tell me you're wise. Prove it. And that doesn't mean recite the four spiritual laws. And that doesn't mean recite Romans Road. doesn't mean recite John 3.16. If you, if you tell me you're wise, show it to me by your life. Show me that you're practically applying what you say you already know, what you say you affirm, what you say you believe. Then, then you'll be wise. Then you'll be wise. See, when you go to a Bible study this week somewhere, wherever it is, even if you're listening, if you can go to this church, next Bible study you go to. Actually, let me take that back. At the end of this sermon, are you going to be wise with this sermon? Or are you going to tuck it away in the head knowledge category? The difference is simply practically applying it. Right? Ephesians 5.15, you've got to be wise. If you and I are going to fulfill our mission in the evil that surrounds us 24-7, 365, you've got to choose to be wise. You've got to choose to be wise. Stephen Cole says this, True wisdom is based on knowledge, but it is more than knowledge. It is the ability to live in a manner pleasing to God because you understand His truth and you live in constant submission to his spirit, applying that truth to all of life. So if you and I are going to be walking in victory in the days that are evil, you and I have to commit to being wise. And being wise really does take one another. It really does take a lot of, hey man, I need your help. Hey man, what do you think about this? See, as a, as a pastor, when someone calls me with an issue, oftentimes the verses that I'll share with them, they already know. What I help them do is bring practical application. They already knew the verse. 99.9% of the time they say, hey, pastor, I'm going through this and this. And the verse or verses I share, they've already written down. They've already memorized. But I spend time with them to say, okay, now let's make this real. Now here's a plan. And they leave with wisdom. And it changes everything. They just needed me to help them bring application to their situation, to what they already knew. Okay, that, that's what we're supposed to do with one another, is help each other live this thing, bring practical application. What's the challenge to that? Honestly, pride. Ah, I'm good. Ah, I don't need that. Ah, I can handle the devil. Ah, you know, that's for them weaker Christians. Ah, right? Well, for those of you who are, ah, here's Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Next time you go, ah, you want to check yourself because the enemy may have just... Already got you to say, ah, because you're all that, because you're all that. You don't need help, because you're all that. And what are they going to think about you if you ask for help, because you're all that. He's fishing. He knows. He know, right? So if you want to be wise, how many of you at this point would say, I want to be wise. I need wisdom. Where do you start? Where do you start? Well, let's get practical. Where do we start? Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Want to be biblically wise? You've got to know the Father. Know the Father. That word fear is reverence, awe. Come to relationship with Father, right? James 4.7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Don't get that order flipped. Submit to God. Resist the devil. The devil will flee from you. That's James 4, 7. We're going to look at that next week. First phrase in that is what? Re submit to God. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? How are you doing? In your submission and reverence to God and His Word. Are you yielded? Are you going to leave here and say, Father, I recognize what I'm, what I'm up against. I need you. I choose to submit. Right? And then Jesus says this in John 17. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. If wisdom is a relationship with Father, wisdom is in the truth of the word. Amen? It's in God's truth. You want to be wise? You've got to know God's truth. Second Timothy, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. You want to be wise? You want to know how to walk in victory? To walk carefully out into the evil that you're about to? Starts vertically with the relationship with Father. Starts with knowing and submitting to His Word. Applying it, right? Applying it. 1 Timothy 3 calls the church the pillar and foundation of truth. See, that's our calling here. When you come to the well or any Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, what you should be coming to is a place that's going to be the pillar and foundation of truth. Uncompromising. And, and you know, in these day and age, it's going to get harder. But we're going to stay the course. Amen? You come here. We have committed from day one to be the pillar and foundation of truth. And in the last ten years that we've been in church... Quite frankly, it's gotten more and more unpopular. We're going to stay the course, and that's why you can pray for me, and I'll pray for you. Because First Timothy says, calls us to be pillar and foundation of truth. So what you're going to get here, right? It's interesting. In Mark four, there's a parable of the sower, and this farmer is casting out seed, and on the different ground, right? And it says, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And his disciples said, Jesus, what does that mean? The birds came and devoured it, casting seed. And he says this. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. What do you think the enemy doesn't want you to know? The word. It's right there in the parable. You're casting out the word here every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday. The enemy is, they're hovering. They're just hovering, waiting for you to go out to lunch and forget everything you just heard. Want to snatch it away. Snatch it away. Ah, you don't need wisdom. Ah, ah. Before you leave here, before you get to your car. Snatch it away. You don't need to worry about this week. You're wise enough. You're good. Call it good. What's this wisdom stuff? Just saying. Last thing the enemy wants you to know is the word. The truth, right? And so what do we do here? How do we do this? You've got to understand that being wise is not something we do solo. You gotta, you gotta be okay at a certain point with letting people in. Proverbs twelve fifteen says this: Fools think. I don't know. Look, I'm gonna look it up there. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listens to others. You want to be wise? You need some godly counsel in your life. You need some people that you give permission to speak freely, biblically. Right? Because that verse says, fools think you got it. If you think you can walk and follow Jesus in the evil world that we're in all by your lonesome, and you don't need anybody, you've already been duped. In fact, that verse calls you a fool. It's pretty powerful. 
Hebrews 3 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none, everyone say none, None of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you hear the accountability here, the one anothering? We're to be encouraging, exhorting. We're to be connected to one another so that no one in this room, no one listening, is ever deceived by sin. We can't just idly sit by and watch a brother and sister be deceived without saying something. You got to, it says, exhort one another, encourage one another, get in each other's lives, speak the truth in love. You know, you got to find somebody, somebody's, and you tell them, hey, hey man, Mark, and Mark already kind of knows this, right? Mark, hey bro, permission to speak freely. And he knows he has that. He sees something in my life. He watches me. I'm a little, you know, in a funk around here or whatever. I'm. He just cares enough about me. He'll go out to coffee and he has permission to speak freely into my life. Because I know he loves me. I know he's not out to ruin my fun and, you know, condemn me and criticize me. I've given him permission to speak freely. Question, do you want to be wise? Do you have people in your life that you've given permission to speak freely to you? Otherwise, you're walking out these doors all by yourself to an enemy, to a world that is constantly coming at you. Constantly, constantly coming at you, right? Here's an example. 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Is there anything wrong with money? Is there anything wrong with being a good steward of money? No. That verse says it's the love of money. And that love of money has what, in verse 10, caused some people to wander. They lost focus. Right? And I wonder, what starts out in my life, in your life, is something with good intentions. Good intention beginnings. If you're not careful, you can get wrapped up in the stuff of the world and wander away from the faith. Even with the best of intentions, right? Unless you have somebody who's going to speak truth, exhort you and say, hey man, I noticed this thing. I know you're way into that. I know you're like exercising and I know this exercise thing is getting you healthy and I know you're losing weight, da, da, da. But dude, I got to be honest with you. You're getting a little bit cocky. Dude, I know you're in shape. I know it's helping you, but I got to be honest with you as a brother. Dude, you got a big head. (laughs) Right? Or, hey, man, I know you want to provide for your family. I know you, you want to make money. I know, no, and I know your heart. I know you want to be a good provider. But, dude, right now, dude, you're like, you just slid into materialism, bro. All you talk about is money now. All you talk about is stuff. I don't even hear God talk from you anymore. That's, this is like real deal stuff. This is rubber meets the road Christianity. Amen? Amen. This is true one anothering. Biblically, one another, where you're trying to help each other be wise. And you say, hey man, I see you wandering. I'm concerned about you. What started out is kind of healthy and good. I get it. I give you the benefit of the doubt. But dude, you're not coming to Bible study anymore. You don't even want to go to church. You're not reading your scripture. Dude, you are consumed with the stuff of the world. Do you have someone in your life that you give permission, that will say that to you and you'll receive it? Honestly, do you? Right? It, it's interesting. Second Timothy 4.10, Paul says this. Demas, a guy named Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. A guy named Demas is called out by Paul. For all of the Bible. Can you imagine? Oh, dude. 
That's a bummer. He just called me out. <laughs> in the Bible. Demas, who in the Bible earlier was called a co-worker with Paul, a fellow worker, in 2 Timothy 10, in 4.10 it says, Hey, Demas has deserted me. Why? Because he loved the present world. I don't know what happened in Demas' life, but at one time he was celebrated as a co-worker. And I was like, dude, I want to be like Demas. 2 Timothy 4.10 is like, dude, Demas deserted Paul? Why? I don't know. Paul just says he, he, he loved the present world. He got caught in with the world stuff. And he deserted him. That's the word Paul. He deserted me for the world. Did that happen to you? It happened to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a healthy, healthy fear I have. Because I know me, and I know where I come from. And I know that the enemy knows me and where I come from. And just all the right buttons are pressed. And be like, hey, what happened to Pastor Richie? Ah, dude, he bailed. Got a better offer. Making six figures, making seven figures. Some, some corporate corporation wanted to hire him. He went after the money. I could have a Demas moment, so could you. What does Jesus say? Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Watch and pray. You got to because it's relentless. Relentless. Church at Ephesus called out by Jesus. You left your first love. What happened? Oh, we got it. We got our church service down. It's all about us. We're orthodox. We call out false teachers. Everyone smile because we're the orthodox church right here. Everyone look right. Smile. <laughs> church at Ephesus. You left your first love. It's all about them. Church at Laodicea, materially wealthy, spiritually complacent. We don't need anything. We're good. No, Jesus says, no, you're spiritually naked, poor. <laughs> Why? Because they had slid into selfie mode. It's all about us. I'm good. Got my 401k, got my savings, got my house, got my car. Things of the world, right? Paul calls out the Corinthian church. They're supposedly gathering at a gagape meal before communion. People, it's like a potluck. But it's crazy. The church has become so selfied, so selfie, that I bring a dish and I don't even wait for you to arrive. Right? I bring food and I just eat it. That's what he says. He says, you guys are bringing food to this agape meal and you're not even waiting for the poor people to, to come, you're just eating. You're just eating away. And the people who are coming late, oh well. And he says, on top of that, you're getting drunk. He said, what are you, this, this is a church setting. This is a church gathering. Gluttony and drunkenness. Manifesting what? Selfie world. A selfie world. And I think about those examples, and it, and it gives me a healthy fear for us. For us. And I pray that we would never become the selfie church of the Ojai Valley. Where we're just consumed about us individually. And having our needs met. And what is the well going to do for me? And then as a church, we're like, oh yeah, we're the biggest baddest in town. Come out to the East End. We got the, we got the light show. We got the AC. We got this incredible comic. It's all about us. Man, oh man, I would absolutely be devastated if we became the selfie church. You can't do that, amen? Can't. But what's the answer? Real quick, here's the answer. Jesus, Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know what the principle is there? Here's the deal. If you live in selfie world, it's a bottomless pit. You will never find fulfillment. It'll be more, 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 me, me, me. It's a bottomless pit if you turn it inward. What he's saying in that principle is, lose your life and you'll find it. 
Lose your life and you'll experience the abundance and the joy and the fulfillment as a child of God that you're supposed to. That's the principle. That's what seeped into the church. The American church in particular has become so selfied and it's a bottomless pit. And you stay at a church as long as it meets your selfie need. And then when it doesn't, you go to the next church because you're looking, you're living in selfies. It's like it's a bottomless pit. In the church and in your life, if you're consumed with yourself, it's a bottomless pit. You're going to lose your life. But he says, if you flip it. There you are. Cheese. Cheese. Smile. Cheese. If you flip it and you lose your life for the sake of others, you'll find joy. Inexpressible. You come here on a Sunday. And before you get here, you say, Father, today I want to bless somebody. Uh, Before I leave, before before I leave the well, I want to bless somebody. I want to hug somebody. I want to put a smile on my face, shake their hand. I want to meet someone new. I want to um, be a greeter. I want to do something today, Father, before I leave the well. Can I please be used by you to bless someone? Amen? Amen. Radically change your church experience. You'll leave here more lit by doing that than maybe even the sermon. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Because you and I are going into a world in about 10 minutes that is all about you. Everything is filtered by what I think, how I feel. I, 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 I. The exact opposite of our call as Christians. The exact opposite. So if you want to be wise, be like Jesus. The ultimate example of being wise, be like Jesus. Because it says this in Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Everyone say nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Everyone say servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled. Everyone say humble. Humbled himself and became obedient. Everyone say to death. Even death on a cross. What did Jesus do? Made himself nothing. Humbled himself. Servant. Obedient. Do that. And watch what God does in you. That's where life is found. That's where joy is found. That's where the abundant life is found. Is in laying your life down for other people. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for not leaving us without clear direction about how to walk in days that are evil. And I have struggled with this message, Father. Struggled because I know how selfish and self-centered I am. But also struggled because I know we all are inundated with this constantly with social media and technology from the culture that we live in, the elevation of self is astronomical. Everything seems to be centered on me, myself, and I. And yet we're reminded we're going to be careful and wise And we're going to redeem the time. It's really about being like Jesus. Who emptied himself, made himself nothing, humbled himself, came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom, even to death. And I wonder today, How many of us just have to choose to lay our lives down, to die to self? Father, we confess our self-centeredness, our selfishness. Father, we confess the selfiness 
from this selfy life that maybe we've been living and brought into the church. We just want to give you some time now, face time with Father, to come before Him in confession and and receiving of forgiveness as well for selfiness, for idolatry, for not being very wise. Father, we just come to you in in FaceTime. Search our hearts. You are good. You brought us here to hear this today in your goodness. 